Welcome to Ask BBB, a weekly program produced by the Better Business Bureau serving Western Ontario. I'm Jim Swan, and this morning we're with Chris Lavoie, who is Operations Manager at BBB serving Western Ontario. Uh, good to have you along, Chris. Good morning, everybody. Chris, as Operations Manager, you oversee the complaint uh, process at BBB, and later on the program we want to talk about that process. Yeah, resolving disputes is a very important part of what we do. Many complaints are resolved without difficulty. The process is in place to handle things in a way that is fair to the business and consumer, and I'll be happy to explain how it works. Well, Chris, one complaint we get is that February is short, but winter is too long. Yeah, well, we can't do much about the length of winter. Well, people do look for things that they can do to help ease the pain and the anxiety of it all. And this morning, we're going to explore a therapy that just might help. Our guest this morning is Tamalinda Lux of Stepstone Hypnosis and Hypnotherapy. Tamalinda, welcome to Ask BBB. Oh, thank you for having me here, Jim. Thank you. All right, so we're in the middle of winter. People grow tired of coping with the snow, the cold, and all of the things that lead us to the winter blahs. Can hypnotherapy help us cope? Absolutely. Hypnosis can help us better manage those winter blues by helping us tap into joy and peace and strength and healing. It's just incredibly amazing. You know, there's mounting evidence for the role of the mind in disease and healing and is leading to a greater acceptance of mind-body medicine and integrative health strategies like hypnosis. Well, let's back up just a bit, uh, Tammy Linda. What, what is hypnosis? Great question. Hypnosis has been around for centuries, and it uses guided relaxation, intense concentration, and focused attention to achieve a heightened state of awareness that is sometimes called a trance. And I'm really like a guide. So consider being in a vehicle, and I'm in the passenger seat of the vehicle with the client at the wheel. And my training and expertise is like a roadmap, and I offer suggestions to the client for positive change. And then hopefully that the client takes those suggestions. That's the while hope. They're in the trance. Uh, you've been a life coach for a lot of years. When did hypnosis become part of that coaching process? So my first session as a client was almost four years ago. And because of its success with me, shortly thereafter, I completed training and certification. Plus, I found two amazing mentors and coaches one a psychotherapist and the other a former police officer with 20 years clinical hypnosis experience. And I'm also part of a two of two peer groups for certified hypnosis practitioners where we're continually exploring and learning from each other. Sure. Well, I mean, let's talk about that. How does a person even qualify as a hypnosis? What credentials should you look for if you decide to go um, undergo hypnotherapy? So another great question. To qualify as a hypnotherapist, you complete training in techniques and tools of hypnosis. And there are a lot of online programs, but in my experience, um, I found that in-person training followed by supervision and or mentoring and coaching is key to becoming successful and effective, as well as some sort of background. You know, having a background prior to training, working with clients individually in helping them achieve personal growth and development. So how do you induce a trance? The first few minutes in a hypnotherapy session are designed to relax the body and mind. And this is called the induction. And the induction phase involves really encouraging a person to enter into a light trance using relaxation techniques, such as breathing, 
and noticing the body and mind relax through suggestions offered by the practitioner. So um, what are some of the big myths that uh, surround hypnosis, Tammy Linda? (laughs) Number one, mind control. And as my husband would say, complete mind control. So you don't have? No. Um, It's really interesting because a lot of people have been to a stage hypnosis performance. And really, stage hypnosis implies the hypnotist has all the power, when in reality, the volunteers that go up on stage want to be up there. They have strong creative imagination, good concentration and focus, motivation to participate, and importantly, an extroverted personality. So volunteers become less inhibited during the performance with the combination of being in the trance state, plus they're there because of the thrill of being up on stage. And I have two other myths, if that's of interest. Please, yes. Okay. Another myth about hypnosis is that hypnosis is sleep, and people lose consciousness and have amnesia. Well, while a hypnotized individual may have their eyes closed for an extended period of time, they're not actually sleeping. Hypnotized people are aware of their surroundings. And then my favorite myth of all is that a hypnotist can cure you in one session. So just to clear it up, the hypnotist is not there to cure you or heal you. You may feel that you've had your own healing. But that myth of a hypnotist can cure you in one session, maybe, because this does happen occasionally. An example of that is people are often able to stop smoking in one session, but not everyone. Most behavioral change is going to require more dedication and persistence to produce lasting results. And a point to remember, for hypnosis to work, it takes willingness, commitment to the process, and enough concentration to follow simple instructions. So in addition to helping handle stress and anxiety, such as the winter blues, what are some of the other areas where hypnosis is an appropriate therapy? Stress and anxiety are number one, followed closely by weight loss and quitting smoking. People also seek help with fears and phobias, bad habits, and pain relief. And then there are some unique concerns, like feelings around the impact of finding out about a birth parent because of DNA testing. And then a growing area is end-of-life issues, whether it's dealing with a terminal diagnosis or the act of dying. You're listening to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan with co-host Chris Lavoie, and our guest this morning is Tammy Lynn Deluxe of Stepstone Hypnosis and Hypnotherapy. We'll continue our conversation right after this short break. Welcome back to Ask BBB, a weekly program produced by the Better Business Bureau serving Western Ontario. I'm Jim Swan. Co-hosting with me this morning is Chris Lavoie, who is Operations Manager at BBB. And our guest this morning is Tamalinda Lux of Stepstone Hypnosis and Hypnotherapy. Tamalinda, before the break, we talked about hypnosis, what it is and what it isn't, and some of the situations where hypnotherapy might be considered. Now, you also act as a doula for people at the end of life. Uh, For those of us who aren't familiar with that term doula, can you just uh, expand a bit on that? Sure. Thanks, Jim. So an end-of-life doula empowers, educates, and encourages people and their families to be involved in making end-of-life decisions. And many people know the term birth doula, and they support women during the labor process. Well, an end-of-life doula or a death doula supports a person during the dying person. And I personally also work way ahead of of end-of-life or terminal diagnosis with advanced care planning, and this can happen at any age. And advanced care planning is so that the individual already has their wishes 
about their critical medical care written down well in advance of any crisis or end-of-life moment. So that might be something you want to do, um, say, even at my age. While you're still healthy and and, uh, still uh, feeling good about life, but you know that the end is coming. Uh, Tammy Linda, the the Grand Theatre has presented a play called Honor Beat, and it dealt with a number of issues, including end of life. And in that play, we watched the daughters of a dying woman communicate with their mother's spirit, and they discover many things that they wish they'd discussed before their mother was in a coma. Does your work as a doula help people in their communications with loved ones? Absolutely, which may surprise you, but not in the way that some may think. So hypnosis can help with forgiveness, letting go, grief, and any unfinished work. It cannot actually help you talk with the deceased or someone in a coma. However, through hypnosis, a person can clear up one's own issues or concerns around their relationship with that person. So through certain techniques, um, it may feel like you're talking actually to that person, but you're not actually. And it's a very personal, it's very personal and intimate work and one I've done myself as well as been honored to help clients with. So what are some of the issues people face at the end of life? So end-of-life choices and medical decisions have complex psychological and social components and consequences, and these decisions are often stressful and have significant impact on suffering and the quality of living and dying. So some of the issues of of end-of-life that hypnosis can help sort out are dying alone, pain or discomfort, anxiety or sleep, unfinished personal affairs, dependence on others, acceptance and peace of mind, and fear of the unknown. So one thing many people find difficult as they age and and approach that end stage of life is the loss of independence, Tammy Linda, and having to rely on others. Can hypnotherapy help in this area? It certainly can. You know, hypnosis offers a way to move forward with less stress and with positive impact on the quality of living and dying. And accepting dependence on others can be difficult and stressful. So by cultivating self-worth and self-care, one can really gain a sense of control over their thoughts and feelings and sensations. So I guess one of the biggest things we face as end-of-life approaches is the fear of the unknown. How does hypnotherapy help allay that fear? So fear of the unknown can be a big thing or a little thing. Um, It's really different for everyone. It's possible to gently explore intimate thoughts. And in hypnosis, we can guide someone through even like a death rehearsal to help alleviate any fear. Tammy Linda, although death may still be years away for many of us uh, who are seniors, we know that it is inevitable. Uh, Could hypnotherapy help enrich what we've been told are the golden years? (laughs) (laughs) And I love the word enrich, Jim. Enriching our lives at any age is possible. Hypnotherapy can be used to help gain healthier habits, deal with stress, or changes in age. And hypnosis can help a person with chronic pain management. That's often common in our Mm. golden years. Um, And also bringing peace as someone in their golden years navigate the loss of friends or family. And I want to recognize our caregivers, you know, our spouses, our informal caregivers, our family members, um, those who experience their own levels of stress and anxiety. 
Hypnosis is a wonderful technique for getting in touch with their inner strengths to better manage their concerns. So besides the information you provided earlier concerning credentials and qualifications of hypnotherapists, what should we know about costs? Costs vary from practitioner to practitioner, and some charge by the session and others in session blocks, often offering a discount. What I would like you to know is that when you consider how quickly and sustainably hypnotherapy can help you with an issue or concern, the investment is well worth the fee. All right. Well, let's focus on stepstone hypnosis and hypnotherapy. How do people arrange bookings uh, with you? And, and is there a consultation ahead of that where you find out if, uh, if it's something that's going to work for you? Thanks for asking, Jim. I'm easily reached by seller text 519-670-5219 and make a commitment to follow up as soon as possible, usually within 24 hours. My website is stepstonehypnosis.com, and it's chock full of information. I offer a free initial consultation and a first actual hypnosis session, usually within two to three days of that initial consultation. You know, when you're suffering enough with whatever issue, concern, or challenge you have, it's time to call and connect for change. Well, thank you very much for sharing your time here this morning, Tammy Linda, and for giving us some insight into hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Thanks, Jim. You're listening to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan with co-host Chris Lavoie, and our guest has been Tammy Linda Lux of Stepstone Hypnosis and Hypnotherapy, an accredited business with the Better Business Bureau with an A-plus rating. When we return, we'll talk about what happens when someone comes to the BBB with a complaint. Welcome back to Ask BBB, a weekly program produced by the Better Business Bureau serving Western Ontario. I'm Jim Swan with Chris Lavoie, who is Operations Manager at BBB Serving Western Ontario. And good morning again, Chris. Good morning. Chris, as Operations Manager, you oversee the complaint process at BBB. So this morning is a good opportunity for us to talk about what happens when someone complains to BBB about a business. So first, what are the most common complaints that come into BBB's office? So honestly, complaints differ by season. Um, we receive many different types of complaints, and there's, there's really very little common about them. However, um, most complaints that we receive, they, kind of, they stem from a simple misunderstanding that grows into a bigger ordeal. So a lot of the times, the complaints that we receive could have been resolved before we even received them, um, simply by providing better communication. All right, BBB can't handle all complaints that uh, people can. What kinds of complaints can BBB uh, handle? Yeah, so uh, BBB handles disputes that relate to marketplace issues experienced with a product or service that a company provides. Um, So these complaints, they have to meet our complaint acceptance guidelines. So what that means is, you know, the complainant has to seek assistance from the BBB. It has to be from a person or the person's authorized representative um, that actually had a marketplace relationship with the company. The complaint... It needs to relate to a marketplace issues, and normally these issues have to have ever have arisen within you know the previous twelve months. The complaint has to allege a deficiency in the company's marketplace performance uh, with regards to either the service or the products that a business either provided or has uh, has agreed to provide, and the complaint can't be in litigation when filed. It can can also have already been settled by either you know mediation or arbitration between the parties. Um, also, I mean, it goes without saying, but we we don't accept complaints with abusive language, so. So um, you've mentioned uh, the kinds of complaints we can't handle. Are there any others that fit into that? 
So, yeah, I mean, there's actually a, a, I mean, there's a, I don't want to say a long list of complaints that we can't handle, but um, we don't handle employee or employer disputes. We we can't handle, obviously, complaints about government agencies. For the most part, we, we try not to handle complaints where there's uh, an agency that's already been set by law to address those issues. Um, so some of those things would be complaints alleging discrimination or a violation of a person's, you know, rights, um, complaints where people are seeking criminal penalties or alleging some sort of criminal violation. So, you know, robbery, assault, extortion, vandalism. Ultimately, we don't pursue any complaints where somebody is seeking to have a person arrested, jailed, or prosecuted. I guess one of the other things that we don't handle is complaints regarding the competency of, um, you know, specific industries like doctors, dentists, veterinarians. It's it's we could handle complaints when it comes to the billing or customer service issues of those, but uh, we don't accept any complaints when it comes to, regarding the competency. Um, we also we won't handle complaints where the complaint is challenging the validity of a of a law. So you know, for an example, this would be like we won't take a complaint about a local utility that's trying to seek change in rates that's already been set by law. Um, and then the other main thing is we we don't take any complaints where somebody's seeking compensation for personal injury, so any kind of slip and fall accidents. Or if they're trying to get any compensation for emotional emotional distress um, or any anxiety suffered as a result of a marketplace transaction. So, Chris, if we call to register a complaint because we think a business hasn't treated us fairly, what, what sort of information should we have at hand? Yeah, so we should have – you need to have the appropriate contact information for, for both the consumer and the business. The contact information for the business must be enough for us to determine the, the company's location. Um, if we're not able to locate the business, we, we won't be able to handle the complaint. Um, the other piece is we're going to need the actual complaint itself. So it's important to remember that you are complaining through the BBB, not really to the BBB. Um, so the complaint will be sent to the business, and it should be written that way. So it's best to keep it short and, and, and on topic. We also need a valid expected resolution. So this is what you want from the company to consider the matter resolved. Keep in mind that we won't process complaints seeking compensation for either mental distress or anxiety suffered as a result of that marketplace transaction. Does BBB only handle complaints uh, that are about accredited businesses? No, we handle complaints regarding any business that's located in our service area, as long as it meets our complaint acceptance guidelines. So, Chris, do all complaints get posted on the uh, businesses BBB profile in the BBB directory? So normally all complaints that meet our acceptance guidelines will become part of a business's BBB business review. Uh, so what we do is we publish the type of complaint that we receive and how the complaint was handled. So if it was either resolved, unanswered, etc. The actual text of the complaint will also normally get posted. However, it, it does take a little bit longer since it actually has to go through um, an additional review. We have to make sure that we redact any personally identifiable information, any inappropriate appropriate language, or anything that's considered, you know, gratuitous or inflammatory. So what's the difference between a complaint and a review? So obviously, the biggest difference is that reviews can be positive. In fact, 70% of the customer reviews that we receive are actually positive. So a consumer files a complaint when the consumer wants BBB's help to resolve a dispute with a company. Usually, but not always, it involves some sort of monetary claim, and they want to share the outcome with the public. Customer reviews allow consumers to share their opinion. So whether it's good or bad, they get to share their opinion about the company and the interaction they had with them. 
And if the complaint is resolved, then uh, other people see how that company handled uh, a complaint yeah. and, and it gives them confidence that they will. That's right. Uh, how do reviews in the BBB directory differ from other reviews uh, from other sites? So, well, we would like to be able to promise that every review comes from a real consumer. Um, however, our experience shows us that it's nearly impossible to guarantee. But what we do do is we, we take a lot of steps to minimize misuse and improve the customer the consumer experience. So a couple of things that we do is... Customer reviews are vetted by BBB team members before they're sent to a business prior to being published online. Um, we also have a really good internal algorithm and some additional security features that really helps prevent fake reviews. So we validate the email addresses and the phone numbers of reviewers. Businesses are able to dispute an interaction with a particular consumer. And uh, so with this here, a reviewer would then have to would, would then be required to submit documentation to prove that the actual interaction took place. Um, the other couple of things that are different is that we do not allow comments from third parties. So there's no tag on comments. It's it's just a review in the business's response. And we do not allow anonymous reviews um, or we don't allow reviews in which the consumer was compensated. Chris Lavoie, Operations Manager at BBB Serving Western Ontario. This has been really interesting. And uh, that's all our time for this morning. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Chris Lavoie. Remember, ask BBB. And start with trust.